May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. It's great to be back here with you all today. Um, I have been away for a few weeks. Uh, two of those Sundays, I was in Gethsemane. So here we are. Coincidence. I'm going to start today with a little bit of a story from my past. My junior year of high school, um, I had the great privilege to be one of those kids that is way overscheduled. And a typical Friday in the fall looked like this. I would get up about 5.30 in the morning, and I would drive to school for basketball practice, which started at 6.30. And then I'd have the full day of school, and then after school, marching band practice until it was time for the football game. And then the football game, and clean up, and all that stuff, and then dinner with friends. And about 11 o'clock uh, on a Friday night, after a long week of school, I would drive home, which is about 30 minutes. Um, I was new to driving, and I was new to staying awake that late. And um, several times on the way home, I was falling asleep at the wheel. Um, one of the times, um, I was confronted by uh, a gentleman who was driving who wanted to beat me up because he thought I was like purposely swerving and trying to hurt people. Two times, I was pulled over by the police um, and escorted home. Um, it was a pretty serious problem. And uh, one of the things that I have learned and paid attention to that is that um, it's really important to be awake when you're driving. <laughs> um, I praise God that nothing more serious ever happened, um, but it is something that I pay attention to this day. If I'm really tired, I know um, driving is not a good idea, um, and this will connect in a minute, you'll see. Last week, Father Bob did an excellent job of laying out sort of Jesus' whole ministry and how we get to Jerusalem and what happened at the Last Supper. And if you missed last week, um, his sermon is on the website, on the church website. I commend that to you. Um, watch it. You'll learn a lot if you weren't here last Sunday. Um, and he does such a great job of picking up um, all the pieces that were out there and sort of getting us to this point uh, where we find ourselves in Gethsemane. But one of the things I wanted to do today is I wanted to give us a little bit of context. So Jay's going to help. We're going to have a map. I'm going to put up and I'm going to walk through that quickly so that you can have, oh, it didn't work as good as I hoped, but I'm going to try. I'm going to try. So <clears throat> the Last Supper happens in the upper room, um, which is right here. <laughs> so after the Passover, Jesus and his disciples walk through the city. This is, by the way, um, sort of the, ci the city as it looks today, right? The Temple Mount looked different. The Dome of the Rock wasn't there, but the temple was there. And they come into, this is the Kidron Valley right here, and this is the Mount of Olives. You can see Mount of Olives up here. This would be a common thing for them to do. Bob mentioned this last week, but when Jesus came to Jerusalem several times during the year, he would often stay with his friends in Bethany, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This is Bethany right here. Now, the Mount of Olives goes up. There's an elevation change. And then when you get to the top, you can't see this today if you're there. But just on the other side of the mountain, before you get to Bethany, is the wall. So you actually physically cannot walk from the Mount of Olives to Bethany, as Jesus did many, many times. You'll notice a couple things on here. Uh, Paternostra Church, this is where Jesus taught the disciples the Lord's Prayer. It's on the Mount of Olives. Um, this, uh, Mary's tomb, is, she's buried right there on the Mount of Olives. Um, we'll have some photos in a minute. And where it says Gethsemane Basilica of Agony, we're going to look at that in a minute. That Gethsemane is right there. 
And this is the church of the ascension, the place where Jesus is taken up into heaven uh, 50 days after his resurrection. So this gives you a little bit of context that things are pretty close together. Um, and again, this is a bit how it looks today. Let's go to the next picture. I think this will help us a little bit. If you are standing on the Temple Mount and looking across to the Mount of Olives, um, you'll see the, the church in the front there is the church of all nations, this church right here. And inside of that church is the rock where Jesus prayed this passage in Gethsemane. Um, these olive trees that are right here are very, very old. Um, some people say they date back to the time of Jesus. But right behind here, there's a grove of younger olive trees, which is what it would have looked like. Gethsemane, that word itself, means olive, or means oil press, right? So you're on the Mount of Olives, where olives are grown. You can see olive trees here. And so that's why it's named that. And so the Garden of Gethsemane is right here. Mary's tomb is here. Bethany's on the other side of that hill. Uh, the Church of the Paternostra over here where Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer. And the Church of the Ascension is up on the top of the hill. This church, the Church of All Nations, is called that because um, the prophet Joel, uh, this valley is called the Kidron Valley, but it's also called the Valley of Jehoshaphat. One of the uh, interesting things that happens in the Bible, sometimes things get multiple names. And this particular location, the Valley of Jehoshaphat, it, the prophet Joel predicted would be the judgment for all people, all nations. So this is church called the Basilica of Agony, when Jesus prays in agony, uh, the church of all nations. So those connections are there. One more picture. This would be standing right there at the church of all nations, looking across into the city of Jerusalem, the old city. And this is the Kidron Valley here. Mount of Olives comes up here. Are right, you with me? And as you look at this, there's a couple things I want you to notice. One is this gate right here. This is the beautiful gate or the golden gate. This is the gate that Jesus would have entered into Jerusalem triumphantly on Palm Sunday on a donkey. You'll notice that it's sealed, right? In 1451, uh, Sultan uh, Suleiman I uh, sealed this for fear uh, that the Jewish or Christian Messiah would return and go through those gates again. And so um, in front of that is a Muslim cemetery because they have a belief that um, spirits or angels can't kind of go through there. Now, I just mentioned that the Church of All Nations, uh, the prophet Joel understands that that's where the judgment will happen of all nations. But our Muslim brothers and sisters have an interesting tradition as well. You can see the Dome of the Rock just to the right of it there's a little smaller dome right here. That little portico right here, not all Muslims, but many believe that at the last judgment day, Ali will be with Jesus to judge all the nations. It's kind of an interesting aside, I think, if you're in that place and you learn about that history that Jews believe right here is going to be the, the judgment time. Uh, maybe Christians do as well, and then our Muslim brothers have that belief right over there. One other thing I'll say about the Golden Gate as it pertains to Gethsemane and the Mount of Olives and Jesus is King David, after he began to build Jerusalem, and his son Absalom was coming to uh, take him out. And David leaves Jerusalem through the eastern gate. This does happen to be the eastern side. Um, on a donkey. And up through the Mount of Olives. And so there's a strong connection with King David that when the Messiah would return, he would of course enter into the Eastern Gate 
And so that, I think that gives us some context for why Jesus is doing kind of all the things he's doing. Would you go back to the picture before and you just leave it up on that one? Thank you so much. That's perfect. So I mentioned er earlier how tired I was as a junior in high school, but I uh, also remember that uh, the people in Jesus' day would have gotten up with the sun. Uh, this time of year, it's about 5 a.m. when the sun rises. And as Bob mentioned last week, a Passover, you know, the sacrifice about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and the meal begins about 7 and goes on for 4 or 5 hours. So let's say about 11 o'clock at night, um, Jesus and his disciples, who've been up since 5, um, walk down the mountains, and they walk up into the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus says to all of his disciples, sit here and wait for me, and I'm going to go pray. And then he takes Peter, James, and John with him, and they go a little further. And he says, stay awake. Um, and he tells them he's deeply, deeply grieved, even to the point of death. Keep awake. Keep awake. And then he goes to the place where the rock, and he kneels down and prays. It makes sense that Jesus would be tired at this point, but if you don't know the rest of the story, why is Jesus deeply grieved? Is it because he knows what he's going to face personally the next day? The agony he's going to face, the um, humiliation, the pain, the physical pain? Um, is it because he knows that in just a few hours, all of his closest friends are going to abandon him? One of his closest is in the process of betraying him. I imagine that Jesus knew all of this, but he also knew more, right? He knew that this wasn't the end of the story. He knew that even though all of his friends would be scattered and would betray and abandon him, that they would be united again after his resurrection. He tells them, I'm going to go ahead of you to Galilee to meet you there. So while he is in agony and he goes to pray, he goes and kind of throws himself down and and, and says this prayer, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, and yet not my will, but yours be done. Not what I want, but what you want. And the story tells us that he, he prays this prayer in, in great agony and anguish, and then he goes back to check on Peter, James, and John, and they're sleeping. And the story's so quick, but it actually happens three times. So imagine... Uh, at midnight, Jesus comes back, and they're asleep. And he goes, stay awake. I need, I need you. I need your support. I'm in, I, I have to do this by myself, but I, I don't want to feel like I'm alone. Please, I need you. Stay awake and pray. And he goes away, and he prays some more, and he comes back. They're asleep again three times. Midnight, one, two. Imagine how difficult it is in our own lives when we know we have to face something ourselves, but we really desperately need our friends and family to support us through it and to feel like they're not there. That's a really, really tough thing. Um, I think uh, there's a profound spiritual lesson for us about not falling asleep when God needs us uh, to be awake and to be active. And so Jesus is praying during this time this profound prayer of trust. God, not what I want, but what you want. And I wonder, um, I don't mean this as a slight, but I wonder um, if any of us uh, feel comfortable sort of saying that prayer. I wonder if any of us have a, a deep enough sense of our own vocation, our own calling in our life, uh, that we might offer that prayer to God. If you've never spent time in real discernment, like, God, what are you calling me to do or be or be with or how to live in this world? 
I mean, I commend that to you as a project, just in your faith journey right now. Um, find a group of people to get together, maybe a spiritual director. Um, start listening for, for how God is calling you. I think what you'll find is um, if, if you engage in that process, you're going to hear some things that might be difficult to hear. You might hear some things like God calling you to leave things that are comfortable and to go into places and conversations and relationships that are more difficult than you're used to. I think if you go through that intentional process of discernment, God may call some of you to a mission field that you haven't ever thought of or been exposed to. Imagine if you go through that process, you might um, hear some words from God that uh, scare you. And in those moments, when we have a real true abiding sense of what God is calling us to do in our lives, we need other people to help and support us through that. And when we really, truly know what that is, sometimes we just don't want to do it. Um, so I've heard this prayer um, used uh, sort of in, an, in a more simplistic way. Like, uh, I know couples who are pregnant, and the dad will pray something like this. Um, Lord, please let us have a son, but not my will. Yours be done, right? <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. But what if you knew through a process of discernment and you been praying about this for a while and you've been meeting with friends and family and the Christian community and a spiritual director, what if you knew that God was calling you to confront your boss's racist behavior? And that if you did that and when you did that, it might cost you your job. Then that prayer takes on a whole new meaning, right? Isn't there somebody else that can do this? No, God's calling you to do it. And so this prayer of God, I'd, I'd like for this cup to not be mine. I want someone else to do this, but not my will, but yours be done. And there's hundreds of examples like that when we enter a process of discernment and really hear God calling us to things. Some of the things that we might be asked to do are, are really difficult or scary. Well, Jesus is, is no different than us. Even if he knows all things are going to work out fine, he knows he's still got to go through this. And so his prayer is one of profound trust in God the Father, that God's going to make this okay, even if he has to go through this agony and anguish and death and humiliation, um, that God is going to make it right in the end. I think because of that, he is able to handle what happens in his betrayal and arrest uh, in a really amazing way. And um, what happens, uh, as we've seen, you know, about 3 o'clock in the morning or so, um, here comes Judas with a whole bunch of people with clubs and swords and Jesus has said, just like Bob shared with us last week, he's been there every day in the temple teaching, right? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Nobody's done anything to him. And here they are in the middle of the night coming to arrest him like he's a bandit. And we don't get all these details from, from Mark's gospel. We get them other, uh, from other places. It's Peter who pulls out a sword and he cuts off the ear of a guy's name's Malchus. He's the high, servant of the high priest. And what I think is the most profound witness to Jesus's um, compassion uh, and his love for us is that in the middle of all of this drama, he takes the time to heal that servant. The guy who's come to arrest him, he, he puts his hands on him and he heals his ear. We get that in Luke's gospel, right? And I just think it's a tremendous example of who Jesus is. And as Bob would say, there's a whole sermon right there, <laughs> right? For another time. So they come to arrest him and Jesus uh, is betrayed by Judas with a kiss. And the details, it's so quick in Mark, all of the disciples scatter. Not one of them. They all run away. 
Um, well, I think we'll hear a little bit next week. Peter's going to go up to Caiaphas's house, which is up closer to the upper room. He's going to deny him three times, as Jesus has predicted. And all of them leave, including this really interesting young man who's wearing a linen thing and kind of runs away naked. That's John Mark, most scholars think. That's the author. That's the guy who's going to travel with Paul, and he's going to end up in Rome with Peter. It's a very important uh, person in the early church. So there's a little editorial note. Why would anybody put that in there? It's because it's himself. He was there. He was present. So when we read the gospel of Mark, we can read it with the authority that there's a firsthand witness here who's, who's here, at least for the arrest of Jesus. I can't really imagine what it would be like to be betrayed uh, and abandoned and uh, deserted by every, you know, by my closest friends. But I think all of us have it at one time or another, or we will have an experience of betrayal. And it's one of the hardest things that we can go through. I think knowing it's going to happen doesn't make it any easier. Uh, it wouldn't have made it any easier for Jesus, I don't think. And I think that in the midst of this story of Gethsemane, of all the things that happen, um, there's a lot of examples for us to take on about how we can pray and trust in God our Father and um, even take time in the midst of those difficulties to offer love and compassion to those who are our enemies, those who would come after us to arrest us and to take us away. I want to close just with a few thoughts about what it means to be in the Holy Land today um, in these places. Um, if you have been there, uh, I imagine that you have a similar experience that I've had the, the couple times that I've been there. And if you've not been there, um, it's definitely worth your time to figure out a way to go. Um, when you go to a place like Gethsemane today, um, you're not going to be by yourself. It's not going to be two in the morning, right? by yourself and praying. You're going to be surrounded by a lot of people. Jerusalem is a busy and active city. But if you go in those places and walk in the footsteps that Jesus has walked, just like we are doing through this sermon series, it will give you a, a greater sense of who Jesus was and make these stories come alive. These things really happened in this place um, a long time ago, but they were done for us. Um, let's pray. Gracious God, we give you great thanks for your son, Jesus Christ, who walked the way of sorrows, carried the cross, who suffered betrayal and agony in Gethsemane, and yet his faith in you never wavered. Lord, when we find ourselves in times when we feel like we're going to have to do something difficult, help us to remember his prayer not what I want, Lord, but what you want. Help us to be comforted by the promise that even in times where we feel abandoned and betrayed, Lord, you will never leave us, that you love us, and that you will always restore things to your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.